Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and Josh, you feel like warm apple pie. I don't want to know in what way you're feeling me that that would be relevant. So. I'm surprised I was even able to feel anything. Dave's all the way in there already. Okay. <laughs> We're off to a great start here. The type but of humor that plays perfectly with this film. That is exactly what I was going to say. That is so true. So uh, we are here at a special bonus episode for our whole season of special bonus episodes. Uh, we had been taking a look back for our 10th season at all of the years that we previously covered. And uh, we closed, as we always do, with an audience choice poll asking you, our listeners, which of those years you wanted to hear about one more time. And we actually had a tie. And so we talked about a movie from 1994 in our season finale. But we figured for a bonus episode, we would take the other year that you guys uh, voted for, which was 1999, and talk about a movie from that year. And just to make things even crazier, we decided to pick a movie from our previous audience choice poll, which was the Tournament of Teen Movies from 1999. We ended up with Election as the winner of that, but the runner-up there was American Pie. So such a complex process to arrive here at talking about American Pie. Bonuses on bonuses on bonuses, and now you know why Jim prematurely ejaculated twice in the film. Because he was just so excited about bonus episodes oh, of Awesome Movie Year. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, if you are listening to this on our Patreon, which is where it's going to be for a while, thank you very much to the small but dedicated group of people who are there. Uh, that on comes Patreon. out before, so it's another bonus for those people. A premature mm -hmm. ejaculation of the episode on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that <laughs> so much vulgar vulgar humor coming up here yeah so american pie from 1999 it was a huge hit and uh i'm sure a lot of our listeners had seen it one of the reasons why it got so many votes in our teen tournament it grossed 235.5 million dollars on its budget of just 11 million which is a really uh, I mean, is an amazing, uh, you know, return on investment and a smaller budget than I would have expected. But I guess in part because now we know all of these actors, you watch this movie and you think, look at all these people in it. But none of them were really well known at the time. Um, so it was a massive, massive success. It was uh, nominated for four MTV Movie Awards and five Teen Choice Awards, which, of course, is the exact kind of award that you would expect for a movie like this. Uh, I did appreciate the one of the Teen Choice Awards it was nominated for was Choice Sleaze Bag for Sean William Scott as Stifler. Because of course that is an award category on the Teen Choice I mean, Awards. you see what a simpler time it was in some ways, Josh. You could be a sleaze bag and people could like you for it. And they could nominate mm -hmm. you for an award, even though it didn't win. It didn't win any of those awards. He was, was really nominated for. If you look at the thing, like he's way less of a sleaze bag than some of the other people in there. Uh, in the category or in this in, movie? in the film? Oh yeah, yeah. I suppose so. I mean, he's kind of a he's kind of a dick, but really, he's 
he's the victim of one of the most horrific, like, sexual assaults in this film, <laughs> to be fair. So, yeah. Um, Wait a second. And, uh, Wait a second. You're, yes. you're talking about the beer situation? Yeah. Yeah. You think that was a sexual assault? You think that Kevin left it in there on purpose? Yeah, he clearly indicates that he did. Maybe I just like to think of this as more innocent than you. <laughs> I feel like that moment, I have forgotten about that moment. You know, we'll we'll talk about uh, later, I'm sure. And we always talk about the non-consensual broadcasting of Nadia, the character played by Shannon Elizabeth over the internet as this violation, which it is. But I had forgotten about the moment where Kevin, played by Thomas Ian Nicholas, uh, jizzes into a cup of beer and then leaves it there Not for Stifler. That, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but I thought he just jizzed into the beer because he needed to be clean with his. Uh, his well, I think output. I think he did. I think he did it first. Uh, but then when he realized it was there, he definitely didn't say anything because he knew Stifler was going to uh, to drink it. And there's a lot of shades. Yeah, I really didn't. I really didn't even yeah. pick up on that. You know, <laughs> I mean, so. I, I, I thought as I was watching the scene, oh, this is just this is an accidental thing. And like just what you were saying. And it's going to be funny because it's an accident. But the way he says that to Stifler afterwards, clear to me, clearly indicated that at, at some point there's a moment where he realizes I could say something, but I'm not going to. And I took it like, hey, I didn't mean to, and this happened, so now let's all joke about it. Because we're all bros. Yeah, but they're, I mean, they're all bros, but they're not really bros with Stifler. That's the whole dynamic here, is that they're they're kind of frenemies with Stifler, right? Nah, and he... I disagree again, man. They're Of course they're big, big time bros. It's just like, there's an asshole bro in every group of bros. Well, that's terrible and shouldn't happen, first of all. <laughs> and I don't want to be in that group of bros. You're not in any group of bros, Josh. Oh, man. Okay. So now you're just ostracizing me from potential no, I'm just bro saying, groups. I'm just saying, Josh, have you ever been like, yo, this is my group of bros? I mean, literally, did anyone ever say that in like the history of the world? I've said Josh, that. which was your <laughs> beverage of choice to ejaculate into back in high school? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. So let's just uh, let's just move on from this. I see you uh, as an Ovaltine man. Okay, that's a choice. That's a choice right there. Um, Stifler probably wouldn't drink some Ovaltine, so maybe he'd be safe if that happened. So you can anyway, be in this bro group now. I don't want to. The Stifler is a terrible person, and I don't want to be. He's a not a terrible person. He what? is a terrible person. Why is he a terrible maybe, person? Maybe he's not as terrible as you like, as you say, as uh, you know, needing to be nominated for a sleazebag award. But he's just a dick. You know, he insults people constantly. He, I mean, if for nothing else than the fact that he puts a laxative in Finch's coffee uh -huh. to force him to have intestinal distress at school that's terrible no no, should do that. no josh he's a dick sure but he makes fun of everyone he's a fun loving dick like that's just who he is he's i make fun of you one... make fun of me no look yeah. if you if you put a laxative in my coffee we would no longer be friends well uh that's why you're not in the program no i'm just kidding uh but josh he it's not like he did that for no reason he did that because finch was out there saying other stuff about him, so he was getting revenge for it. Well, okay, A, I feel like that was a potentially uh, disproportionate revenge, but you're right. 
Finch is also terrible. These, you know, mostly are not good people. This and is what I'm telling you. Yet in 1999, they're all beloved. So what happened to society yeah, but, over the last but I do, years? I, I do think that Stifler is meant to be, if not a terrible person, you're meant to, he's an antagonist. He is a dick. And he is an antagonist he's, in this movie. He's definitely not. He's a man child is what he is, which was a huge popular trend in the 90s. And all of those man children were oftentimes leading men. And Stifler was probably the breakout character of this film, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He, yes, he is. But he's still the antagonist to our main characters. He doesn't antagonize Jim at all. He has got no antagonization with Ox. He's got a friendly rivalry with uh, with, you know, what you said, Finch, but I don't see, and he doesn't interact with any of the other women. So how is he an antagonist? I, I mean, he continually just shows up in scenes to insult the main characters. That's like his primary purpose. That's not an antagonist. That's just the dude who that's his personality. I'm going to make fun of everybody. That's not a big deal. It's a terrible personality to have. Apparently not, according to the Teen Choice Awards. No, even according to the Teen Choice Awards, they're giving him the award for the most terrible personality. No, they're not the best of the sleaze bags. It didn't say worst sleaze bag. It said best sleaze bag. Well, the, one, to, the sleaze no, bag we would most likely want to be with. Technically, it's choice sleaze bag. Sure, the, because it's the, the Teen Choice Awards. Right, the choice of sleaze bags that we want to hang out with. That's not the full name of the award, Josh. You are being a real snowflake about this. <laughs> I'm I'm concerned that you seem to 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 you know have sympathy with Stifler here. I don't have I'm concerned that you're just a wah 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 about him. Like who cares? He's just a he's a dick, but he's like a likable dick. So who cares? I mean, he's likable in the sense that like the Joker is likable, you know, where movie viewers are entertained by him. But mm -hmm. if Stifler were a real person, like I knew people like Stifler in school and Stifler makes people, people like that make people miserable. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, your comparison was a man to, uh, who committed murders, Josh. So, uh, and we, I've, and we know from past episodes, you have taken the hard stance. Murder is bad. So I think you're all over the place today. You need to take a deep breath and reset. All right, well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was very popular with audiences. In addition to making all that money, it got an A minus from CinemaScore, the audience polling service, um, which is a very strong response. And critics were were mixed on this. Um, I mean, this this movie is was very successful and has since become kind of a classic to many people. But is the kind of movie that you would think critics would not be into. Um, but a lot of them were at least somewhat into it. There was a uh, disagreement on uh, Roger Ebert at the movies. Ebert gave it a thumbs up, although kind of marginally. And his guest critic, uh, Norman Mark of PBS Chicago, gave it a thumbs down. Uh, and, and sort of in, Shocking. in, in reference to uh, our, our, our discussion of are these good people? I mean, one of the things that, that Ebert liked about this movie is that he felt that it was, it was sweet and endearing and less mean-spirited than some other recent vulgar comedies that he references that had come out around this time or just before then. And I don't disagree. As much as I'm arguing against Stifler, I, I think that there is a certain sweetness to this story, especially as it wraps up, that makes it, that makes up for kind of the unpleasantness of some of the vulgar humor. So in his written review, Roger Ebert said, 
it involves a great deal of sexual content that, in my opinion, is too advanced for high school, and a lot of characters who are more casual about it than real teenagers might be. But it observes the rules of comedy. The film is in the tradition of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, National Lampoon's Animal House, and all the more recent teen sex comedies. It is not inspired, but it's cheerful and hardworking and sometimes funny. And here's the important thing, it's not mean. Its characters are sort of sweet and lovable. As I swim through the summer tide of vulgarity, I find that's what I'm looking for. Movies that at least feel affection for their characters. Raunchy is okay. Cruel is not. I guess, I mean, I'm all fine with the review other than the point that he's like, this is too sexual for high school. But uh, remember when Jennifer Jason Lee got that abortion in, uh, in Fast Times? That was pretty chill for a high school sex movie, wasn't it? Like, I mean, teenagers have sex. Just go with it, bro. Right. I think his point, and he may mention this elsewhere in his review, or he might have said it on the show, is that more realistic teenagers would be more apprehensive about sex or would have more varied, less enjoyable experiences, much like Jennifer Jason Lee in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But I don't know. I mean, Fast Times is is one of those movies that is known as a teen sex comedy, but you watch that movie and it's it's actually quite serious in a lot of ways. I like and it, I like that movie a lot. I, I like it too. I'm not saying it as a criticism. I'm just saying that there's a there's a level of drama in that film that American Pie would not ever be aiming for. Yeah. So then what you're getting to is should all of these have the same tone? And he just said they shouldn't because, you know, then they're all too raunchy or too vulgar or too cruel. So I just feel like that kind of negates his own point. Um, also, the Tara Reed character, she has, I guess, if you're going to talk about any character who, you know, questions if she should have sex, why she should have sex, she does that. And you also see it with Oz and uh, Heather. So I'm not saying it's the deepest uh, conversations about sex, but at least, you know, it's not all just like, ah, oh, it's senior prom, let's get laid. And then we're all getting laid and it's one dimensional. Right. No, I, I actually agree with that. And I was sort of surprised watching it this time that the female characters seemed like real people mostly and not just like holes for the male characters to uh, insert themselves. I, I mean, into. in fact, it's the opposite. If you looked at the, you know, Allison Hannigan and uh, uh, Jason Biggs relationship, she it's Michelle, right? She's the one who's like, oh, he's a short shot. I'm going to take him to prom. Right. And so I appreciated that. And I think that especially comes out more in that in that third act where with that character who we didn't really know anything about other than her running joke about Bandcamp, we see that, you know, we do see that apprehension from Tara Reid's character and the sex scene between her and Kevin, the Thomas Ian Nicholas character is awkward. You know, they're clearly not having mind blowing sex in that scene. Um, so I did appreciate that. I think leading up to it, there's a lot of stuff that I less appreciated and that's a lot broader but but there was more uh there were more dimensions to those characters than i remembered there being yeah i don't think this would have been such a big sensation if there wasn't like a sweetness or something relatable because it's obvious you know okay guys want to see it because of the sex but this is a date movie this is something that teenagers both boys and girls were seeing and this is a huge movie that uh kids were sneaking into right Right. Yeah, I think I think so. And uh, so Owen Gleiberman and Ed Vicky, not Veronica, Vicky, Tara Reed. Oh, character. that's Tara Reed's character. Oh. Yes, Vicky. 
So uh, Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly uh, kind of gets to some of those points. He says, American Pie, the profound and ennobling tale of four rabidly horny high school seniors who try to lose their virginity by prom night, looks at a glance like modern teen movie repackaging of a very low and cynical order. That is, it appears to be a revival of the drooling slapstick raunchiness of Porky's. Like most good teen comedies that never quite transcend their B-movie roots, American Pie is a lively, disposable hybrid of the sincere and the synthetic. It reflects a major shift in contemporary teen culture that the girls in American Pie are as hip to sex as the boys. Sexually speaking, playing catch-up is what being a teenager is all about, and movies like American Pie are, by now, an essential part of the ritual. Yeah, it's interesting because Porky's, I know Adam Hertz, the writer, uh, referenced Porky's a lot when he was writing this. And, uh, you know, uh, Bachelor Party was another one. I felt like when we covered 16 Candles, there was a kind of a lot of that you could see in here, too. So, I, I, again, you know, I, I, one of the, you know, I like reading film history books. And one of them I read was the ultimate history of the 80s teen sex comedy. And there's, you know. Porky's another huge success, right, on a small budget. And it's just about dudes trying to have fun in high school and get laid. And I think, you know, the difference here is the the females are definitely more uh, progressive than men. I, I haven't seen Porky's, actually, and I, I have a feeling I would probably hate it. Um, Maybe we should watch it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the ladies want to get down all the time, too. Have you seen it? Yeah, but I don't really remember it. I shut it off after 10 minutes and I was ashamed of myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and I haven't seen Bachelor Party either. So uh, I haven't seen that in forever. But uh, yeah, you know, Tom Hanks back in his wild 80s. Right. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we'll have to check those out. So Kirk Honeycutt in The Hollywood Reporter was less enthused, but again, still has to give it some kind of a bit of credit. He says, Neophyte filmmaker brothers Chris and Paul Weitz, the producer and director, respectively, occasionally try on the Farrelly brothers' mantle of gross-out humor. But either you have the imagination for this kind of physical comedy, or you don't. The Weitz brothers don't. As a result, American Pie plays like a pale imitation of movies such as Dumb and Dumber and Porky's, which in their peculiar way were classics of testosterone comedy. Clichés abound in every plotline, but interestingly, the payoffs are genuinely funny in two instances and somewhat poignant in the other two. This film saves its best moments for last. And I agree with that. I mean, that was what I was saying, that I felt like it came together at the end and made me more forgiving of some of the uh, more unpleasant moments in the earlier part of the movie. Okay. All right. I, I thought know. it out. I'm just going to lay off on this one, Josh, because I want us to remain friends. And, okay. Uh, I've, I've really given you a good shellacking in this segment. Yeah. Did you not like the way that it, the things came together at the end I of this d- film? I did, but I enjoyed the whole movie. I remember, you know, seeing it for the first time. It almost made me sick to my stomach in a good way, because if you remember, Josh, we were working on a teen comedy with some realistic <laughs> elements in high school called Everybody's Life which I literally found the screenplay the other day and talk about oh, a Patreon wow. opportunity, a reading of the first screenplay I ever <laughs> oh, wrote. Oh my God. <laughs> or <Yeah>. second. <clears throat> anyway, 
when I watched yeah, second, what about don't forget Miracle Beats too? That, man. That's on. true. All of our listeners should know we were once uh, told by a producer to write a spec sequel of a softcore porn called Miracle. Beats. When we were like what fifteen or sixteen, like, yeah, did we really think that they were going to use our script. Look how dumb and, were we? But we wrote it, and he said it was good. The jokes were really good, and then he ended up like optioning his own version instead. But hey, it was a good exercise. And then we wrote yeah. this thing together. Well, we storied it together, and I wrote the movie, right? And yeah, we worked on it with uh, another friend of ours, Jake Williamson. Um, who I've never you, heard you did. from in like 10, <laughs> 10 years. It's really disappointing as a human being. Maybe if we did a reading of everybody's life, he would uh, he would return. But uh, but you you really did all the work on that. You wrote that. I, I did. And then I, this was what it was supposed to be, a teen comedy and really hilarious and talking about anything and everything. And there were some more serious moments in in mind. But uh, but anyway, it, it never got made because of American Pie. Uh, otherwise, it would have been a no brainer. Everyone would have bought it. And but no, I remember being like, oh, man, they executed exactly what I wanted to do. And they did a good job of it. So good for them. Yeah. And I feel like it, it could have been the opposite because one of the results of this film is that there were a lot of imitators of it. So, you know, your script could have been more viable then. Rather Instead, than I'm here with you. Yeah. See how things have ended <laughs> up all because of American Pie. You saw it in the theater, right? I maybe, I guess. I'm sure I saw it when it came out, but I don't remember a specific theater experience or if I watched it at home. But I wasn't really a fan of this even at the time. I didn't hate it. And I don't hate it now, despite, you know, our discussion. Um, I feel like that's just about the, you know, reading of a certain character. I, as we've, you know, talked about in multiple episodes, am not a fan of lowbrow comedy in general. And so it's tough for a movie that's focused on that to win me over. Um, and there's definitely stuff in here, whether it's Stifler drinking the uh, beer full of jizz or uh, the diarrhea scene or things like that, that I just don't find funny at all. And I watching it this time, um, I don't think I laughed once, but it's it's endearing in its own way. And I don't mind it. But I was never like, you know, even though I was just like you kind of the right age for it, I was never like, oh, wow, that's I'm really, you know, I loved that movie and it was hilarious or whatever. Um, but I have seen all of the sequels. Um, I love that in, so much. Including all of the straight to video <laughs> sequels for professional reasons. <laughs> yeah, right. Quote unquote. Um, yeah. No, you know, Josh, is um, what would be interesting is to like watch it. Like, for instance, my current writing partner has two teenage kids, right? If we all watched it together just to see their reaction to it and like, you know, to see what they thought was funny or not or what they thought was cruel or not or if they just hated the whole thing right yeah i mean i have a feeling that teenagers today would find a lot of this really offensive which isn't to say that that's you know people use that as a standard for like whether a movie is you know should should have been made or whatever but i do feel like some of the things that we mentioned you know that we've talked about here but just the general attitudes of the characters that a lot of that is just stuff that wouldn't fly with with a generation of current teenagers or even people in their 20s. I have a friend who's got kids like basically ranging from like uh, college down to like senior year of high school. And he said that that generation is, you know, kind of rebelling against the millennial generation who would have found this offensive. And now they want everything balls to the wall comedy that cannot be offered. So yeah. um, 
Uh, turns out you need to hang out with more kids, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not. Uh, anything else you want to mention about the background? Well, I, let's ask Dave. Dave, did you did you like this film when you saw it? Did you see it when it came out? Oh yeah, absolutely. Saw it in the theater maybe multiple times. I I loved it at the time, and yeah, I feel like this movie was like a. Uh, part of that turning point into the 2000s when excess and just grossness was what took over the culture. And definitely that was what me and my friends liked at the time. It's funny you say that because we've talked about like old school and that like frat pack comedy. This is almost like a forerunner to that. Like, right. What, if those, if the American pie guys grew up, you could see them have this, that fraternity in old school. And Josh, you've seen all the sequels. So why didn't that happen? <laughs> Yeah, they don't. I think it. Well, you've seen all the main sequels, right, Jason? The with this actual cast in them. Yeah, I've only I've seen part two, which is band, the Bandcamp, and not the American Pie Presents Bandcamp, which my old collaborator JB Rogers directed. And I think American Pie Two is really good. Actually, I think that might be the best of the bunch. It's really funny. The third one, the wedding. Uh, some cast members didn't come back. I seen bits and pieces, but not the whole thing. And then Reunion, I liked the part four. I thought that was another sweet take on mixing the, you know, uh, crude humor with the, you know, the heart of the thing. Yeah. And I actually felt that way, too, or at least I did at the time that it came out because I was looking up my review of it. But uh, but I'm just saying, you know why they didn't uh, start their own fraternity, because they were doing all that other stuff instead. Yeah, they had stuff to do. Yeah, they did. (laughs) But I, I think so. This is definitely part of that trend of gross out humor that was very big around this time. You know, there's a lot of mentions of the Farrelly brothers in reviews of this because of their films that were huge hits at the time. And I, I, I've never liked that sort of humor. It's not something that I grew out of. Even as a teenager, I was totally turned off by that stuff. I never liked Farrelly brothers movies. I never liked jackass to uh, talk about some other thing that's uh, become beloved in the last 20 plus years. So this was just never my thing. Yeah, I saw the new Jackass in the theater last week and I ate popcorn and I cringed and I laughed and it was a wonderful experience. So that's not to say this is like my favorite type of movie, but I think when it's well done, like um, I just want to enjoy it, man. It's just fun. So, Josh, you asked for some other stuff. Obviously, when this thing sold, it was a big deal because um, this was back in the day of spec script sales and. Adam Hertz, uh, on the title of the script, he called it the untitled teenage sex comedy, which can be made for under $10 million, which studio readers will likely hate, but I think you will love. And that was a big thing. I remember when he sold that, that was like a big kind of legendary thing, you know? Other than that, uh, we know that it all is supposed to take place in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? Which is his home. And there are all these nods to Michigan, even though it was filmed in Southern California. And in the year 2000, it was the number one box office hit in Germany. And Josh. I mean, it was a hugely popular movie everywhere. In Germany, they might have wished that he was drinking other things in the cup. (laughs) I don't even know what that's a reference to, but I'm going to leave it alone. We'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on American Pie. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special bonus episode to our special bonus season, we're talking about American Pie from 1999, our audience choice almost pick in two ways. So uh, 
I guess a lot of our listeners like this movie, and so I should not spend my whole time uh, denouncing it. But I don't feel that way, uh, as I was saying. I think this is a pleasant enough movie. I like the sweetness of it that it ultimately gets around to, and that these characters, in their quest to have sex, do largely care, or at least come to care, about the women that they're having sex with, and that those women actively and consensually participate in these sexual activities for the most part, um, aside from poor Nadia, who does not seem traumatized ultimately by her experience of being broadcast non-consensually over the internet. But uh, that's definitely a moment. I mean, certainly one that people talk about the most in relation to this film as, as something that reads poorly now. But I think overall, those four main characters, maybe Finch not quite as much, come off as you know, likable, nice, well-intentioned guys. And and that, to me, goes a long way toward excusing some of the more uh, vulgar moments. Whatever, nerd. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jason. So, hey, the thing is, look, a few things. The, the Nadia thing obviously gets talked about, but in the same way that, like, the panty raid would get talked about in Revenge of the Nerds or when, you know, John Belushi, you know, is peeping on the woman in uh, Animal House. Different generations, different things. Obviously, it was okay to do for whatever reason. It was, it was. This is the thing. It was not okay to do. Just because people thought it was okay doesn't mean it actually was okay. It was accepted as something that people did. I guess I'm not. Yes. Say, I'm not vouching like, hey, go do this because it was okay. But you know, even Chris White said in retrospect, that's pretty bad. I don't think it would seem as innocent now as it did back then. But this whole broadcasting thing, like it wasn't just a quick scene. That's a huge sequence, right? You know, it is very long and longer than I uh, anticipated that it would be. And of course, it is then used as a way to kind of give Jim some comeuppance there. You know, he plans to broadcast Nadia and then he ends up humiliating himself in the broadcast. And and I mean, I, I can almost see like a slight acknowledgement of how bad that is when, you know, he goes there and is you know, performing a strip tease for her. And he knows that it's being broadcast on the internet. And he attempts to kind of cover that. He throws his shirt to cover the camera. So you can tell in that moment, he knows being broadcast on the internet while you're naked is not something that you want to happen. And so you could almost see that as an acknowledgement of like, yeah, this was wrong, but maybe I'm stretching it. I there, think but. you're stretching it in the same way that like, you know, like those other ones that I referenced, right? Like they'd be like, hey, was this uh, was this the right thing to do? Maybe not. But was it in their minds harmful? No. Right. So right. that's all I'm saying about that. Also, like one thing with the guys is like they get their comeuppance a lot of the time. Right. Like that gym sequence. Right. Like. He prematurely ejaculates twice and like the whole school sees it, including high school mates Blink-182, you know? Yes. And more importantly, Blink-182's pet monkey. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. So, and uh, of course, Travis Barker was uh, credited as Scott Raynor, which he couldn't have been happy about the, the original drummer of Blink-182. But I mean, OK, fine. We've talked about that. We know it doesn't age well. That's. That's a discussion we definitely had to have and I think has been talked about in this film over uh, time. I think some of the good things are these guys really do feel like friends. They feel like different people. They're not for the same people. Right. And like we said, the women are in the most part in the power positions in this movie. You know, none of them 
other than the Nadia character is put in a bad position, I would say. That's true. That's true. And the male characters generally respect them. You yeah. know, it's Kev- Kevin's whole story arc is his effort to sort of prove himself to Vicky, Tara Reed's character, to show her that he's worthy of her. Um, and, and in a way, that's also Oz's storyline, Chris Klein's storyline with Mina Suvari's character, Heather, to prove to her that he's genuine about his feelings for her and about his interest in being in the choir. When, of course, he's not really at first, you know, he joins it because he thinks, oh, this is an easy way for him to meet chicks. But he comes around to really being genuinely interested and and excited about this. So. I do appreciate that. And of course, as you were mentioning before, Michelle, the Allison Hannigan character, who's not really much of a character, but she really, you know, emerges with that uh, sexually aggressive side in the end of the film, which is a funny bit, but also is another way to give agency to the female characters. So, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, Stifler's mom is more of just a joke where, uh, you know, Finch goes after her, but he's not taking advantage of her. If anything, she's taking advantage of him. It's one of the many homages on film to The Graduate, which we've covered before. Some funny uh, quotes that I've read here, Josh. You know, I I reread the chapter on uh, Best Movie Year Ever uh, that we talked about in the 99 scene. And uh, here was one of my favorites, Shannon Elizabeth, who we mentioned for her work in Love Actually, (laughs) said uh, when she knew she was going to have to play Russian, uh, this character, she said, my boy is Czechoslovakian when she knew she was going to have to play Czechoslovakian. OK, Josh, thank you. She <laughs> she said, my boyfriend <laughs> at the time said, remember in acting class last week when you did that French accent? That was fine. Do that. I realized I wasn't doing a French <laughs> accent at all. That was her. That was her quote on developing the character. You know? Well, good that she has that self-awareness. And yeah, I mean, obviously, like your your mistake there thinking that she's Russian versus Czechoslovakian is legit because the movie doesn't care. The movie isn't interested in like her ethnic origins or whatever. All she has to be is vaguely foreign. Hot foreign chick. That's right. She could have any accent of. Yeah. Yes, she could have. She could have done a British accent, probably, and no one would have cared. Well, as long as she didn't do the Southern accent we heard in, uh, in, uh, yeah, actually, maybe accents, not Shannon Elizabeth's strength as an actor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sean William Scott on uh, playing Stifler. I've looked forty-five years old since I was in seventh grade, but I had nothing to lose. I made Stifler like Hannibal Lecter. You're not really supposed to love him, but you do. Literally the argument we had in the, the first section. Right, and, and to me, Hannibal Lecter is the perfect comparison for what I was talking about. So and, Sean and William Scott backing me up there. Josh, can I just tell you, Hannibal Lecter had a TV show, had sequels named after him, you know? So. Right, and that's what I'm saying, but he's still a villain. He's a villain that people find entertaining to watch. I don't think he's a villain at all. Anyway, uh, I'll give you two Jason, more. Jason coming out uh, opposed to my anti-murder stance in favor of Hannibal Lecter, notorious serial killer. I'll take it. Okay. Because <laughs> at least he eats his victims. And if you're going to go, you might as wait a second. That's not a good argument. So. Not at all. Hey, Josh, here's two things that you might like, okay? Obviously, okay. the, the pie fucking scene, uh, which mm. I, you know, uh, Jason Biggs said, I knew it was funny. And the only way this scene was going to work was if I was wholly committed to fucking the absolute shit out of it. 
I mean, he is committed and, and he's not the only one, you know, all of these actors, if they're placed in these horrible compromising situations in these vulgar set pieces, they're all committed to it. They're doing all they can to act in those scenes. And I appreciate that. I mean, this is a movie full of relative unknown actors and they all give it their full effort. Yeah. And I think the, the Whites brothers deserve some credit for finding that correct tone of broad comedy and sweetness, you know? Um, you know, when we talk about that scene, obviously the pie fucking doesn't work unless Eugene Levy's there with, you know, the hilarious reactions. Eugene Levy as uh, Jim's dad, Noah, who was originally just known as Jim's dad, improvised his entire portion of the movie, which, and he became a breakout character. So like, and now he's a huge star again, right? Yeah, Eugene Levy is the funniest thing in this movie and just the the awkwardness of Jim's dad. And it was weird watching the the Ebert episode with um with his guest critic and they talk about that and they're talking about those scenes as if the dad is mean. They're saying, "Why does the dad in these teen comedies always have to be mean?" But I never got that at all is that he's, you know, he's awkward and uncomfortable, but he's trying to be supportive of Jim in his own weird way by buying him porn mags and all that kind of stuff. I don't um, think he's mean at all. I agree with you, Josh. In fact, he's supportive and like uh, also like trying to help educate him on where, you know, what it is, which is a nice thing. And not, and obviously it's awkward because that talk's always going to be awkward. So it's kind of cool that they leaned in, into it. Yeah, I enjoyed his, I mean, watching this movie, that was the thing that I enjoyed the most. I think every time that he was there with his just perfect comic timing and the way that he can improvise all that stuff. He was very funny. And, you know, he paid his bills with American Pie movies for many, many, many years. Yeah, so good sure. for him. Yeah. Hey, Josh, uh, if we're going to talk about an actor who was wasted in that, I think it's Natasha Leone. That character really had no arc, was only there to further Finch and had nothing else to add. And we know she's wonderful. And um, I thought she was just, you know, I don't know what the purpose of that character really was. Yeah, that's a character really where it's just like, hey, if we need to move the plot forward, this character can do it. You know, does someone need a sounding board? Um, she talks to, to Vicky, to Tara Reid a lot, uh, giving her advice. And yeah, she helps Finch in his efforts to spread positive rumors about himself and there's so many scenes where it's just like she talks to one of the characters and explains what's happening or tells them what they should do in the next scene. And that's really all that she has going for her. And I think in one of the sequels, they gave her a little more to do or at least some sort of uh, internal life. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Natasha Leone is great now. And and even then, I don't know when did Slums of Beverly Hills come out, if it, it was right around this time. Yeah, it was before this. I was actually going to ask you how many of these actors you had been aware of before this movie. And that would that, I mean, I was aware of her because of slums of Beverly Hills. Yeah, I had not. I mean, I've seen slums of Beverly Hills now and it, it which is great. Um, but I had not seen it at the time. So I probably was not familiar with her. And I don't know if I would have been familiar with any of these people, even Eugene Levy at that time. I probably was not really familiar. With. I did. I'm going to disagree. I think you would have been because 96 was Guffman. So you would have known Eugene Levy. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. You're right. You're and, right. and 98 was Lebowski. So I think you would have been familiar with Tara Reid. Yeah. For, for that. But I mean, for a thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> yes. That is a, she is very memorable. If Dave Lebowski. wants to watch, it'll cost you more. Yeah. And Big Lebowski <laughs> is a movie that I definitely saw in the theater. I right. have a clear memory of that. So 
Um, yeah, you're, you're right about that. So I would have been maybe a little bit familiar with them, but not with most of the people. Yeah. In so this to me, it was those two and Natasha Lyonne because Slums of Beverly Hills. And before that, she was in Everyone Says I Love You, which I, I had seen her in, but I really kind of noticed her from that. But, you know, I think that was an easy fix for this character because we're playing on these small town tropes, right? And, um, you know, like Dazed and Confused, for instance, Matthew McConaughey is the, you know, the graduate who still hangs out with him. Like, why couldn't she have been a little older and she works at like, you know, the local video store, the record store in there who she goes to for, you know, advice. And, you know, if all these kids are hanging out there, she could drop all that stuff about Finch there anyway. So I think that was an easy fix, a missed opportunity. But um, it doesn't matter. I made two hundred and thirty five million dollars anyway. (laughs) Right. I mean, there's moments I feel like where they could have given her more dimension. There's one one part where. Vicky is asking her like about sex, like, oh, does it hurt? And I thought, oh, I wonder if they're going to do a thing where she's this character who talks a big game, but she's going to like admit in this scene, oh, actually, I've never had sex. And that would have been something. But of course, that's not that's not what happens. Um, But you're right. There could have been she could have been akin to the uh, Casey Affleck character who shows up in one scene who's supposed to be Kevin's older brother, who gives him some advice and uh, shows him the secret book. Uh, that was the central element of one of the horrible direct-to-DVD spinoffs, The Book of Love, and and which I had remembered as being a l- larger part of this film, but it really is almost unnecessary. Like, Kevin uses it to learn how to perform oral sex, and then yeah. they never mention it again. Yeah, just another teen trope to play with, right? You know? Yeah, okay. sure. Um, so, speaking of minor parts, Josh, the last quote I wanted to give you was from John Cho. Who played MILF guy number two? Did you know the term MILF before this movie, Josh? I'm pretty sure this movie invented the term MILF, which is uh, so a thing that we'll talk about in its legacy. It is <laughs> not. It was invented oh. in 95. I had heard it before. This popularized the term MILF. Okay. All right. It was from like a Usenet board, Dave. <laughs> oh, mm. Nice. I, I was on Usenet, but yeah, probably not too. until a little later than this. Uh, John Cho, right, who just basically, he was in the chorus and he played MILF guy number two and just yelled MILF, MILF, MILF. He said, and this is kind of cool, I think. It meant something in the way that people perceived Asian Americans. You saw a guy with an Asian face being undeniably American, and people were saying, that guy's not foreign at all. I know him. So, you know, we talked about the Long Duck Dong character in 16 Candles. This is just a dude, you know? There's no no need to specify anything about him except that he wants to have sex with the hot mom, right? So. Yeah, and 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 I suppose one thing that does set this movie apart from a lot of those earlier teen comedies is that it's not racist. <laughs> and I mean, being not racist is a pretty low bar to, to hit, but considering how racist some of those older movies are, it's actually kind of an uh, achievement. Maybe we could have had a little more from an African-American character, Christina Milian or someone like that, but otherwise, right. you know. It's not showcasing characters of color, but it's also not making them the butt of jokes because of their ethnicity. And so in that sense, it's an improvement over other films. So, yeah, I mean, this is kind of like that defining line, right? Of like everything that the teen comedies had built to and everywhere it was going afterwards. I feel like this is the the one that defined that, right? Right in the, the line in the sand, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it certainly set the tone for a lot of stuff that came afterwards. Um, I mean, the 90s were big for teen comedies, um, as we talked about. I mean, obviously, we had this whole tournament of teen movies in our 1999 season, and this was not the only one that was a huge hit in that year. 
But certainly it was very influential and successful with all of its own sequels as well as imitators. So yeah, I think so. And I think it still is influential, even if some of the specific jokes wouldn't work now. The tone of like raunchiness plus heart is still something that I feel like a lot of teen-focused comedies aim for. If you turn on one of those on like Netflix, which is where they are now, that's what they're going for. Do you have any good ones? Um, I mean, I, I like the To All the Boys I've Loved Before series, which is is, is more heart and less vulgar. Yeah, that's, but, why, uh, that's why I was asking you, because I don't consider that, you know, like I like the half of it, but there's nothing vulgar about that, you know. So. Right, right. I mean, I think there's a little bit more broad humor in To All the Boys than in the half of it. But yeah, I mean, I tend to gravitate away. If I look at a movie and I think, oh, this is going to be full of gross out humor, I will try not to watch it because it's just not something that I enjoy. Well, I mean, you know, it's like we talked about uh, John Hughes a lot and all the heart in his stuff. And of course, the 80s were famous for the, the teenage sex romps. So this is kind of that combo, like you're saying here. But afterwards, it just kind of seemed to be a uh, law of diminishing returns, you know. I don't really know from the 2000s what a great teen comedy, sex comedy would be to you. I mean, I I might be able to tell you if I took some time and looked it up, but I can't I can't think of one necessarily off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, actually, I don't know if it qualifies as teen movies, but, you know, the Harold and Kumar movies, I think actually are a great example of this. They have a lot of vulgar humor, but they also have a lot of heart and like the central friendship in that in those movies is really well depicted, especially in the third movie. But of course, the third movie involves them being like practically middle-aged. So maybe that doesn't count. I think it's fun and I can't wait till we cover that so you can tell us all the uh, homosexual under vibes those two characters have to each other. Um, The other thing that I really like about this movie that pulls it off is that it is a full ensemble. You know, we talked about the Natasha Lyonne character not really being realized, but everything else was. And that's tougher to do to tell those full stories, have arcs with a with more cast members. And I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah, I mean, and even a lot of the minor characters do have even like Sherman, the Shermanator there has a sort of arc of his own. I mean, it's just an arc of jokes, but, you know, he's the catalyst for these guys finally making their pact. And then at the end of the movie, it's revealed that he didn't really have sex. And that is one of the things that shows these guys that maybe they're fixated on the wrong thing. So there's an arc there for that kind of dumb character. Yeah, it's tough to to write that and to keep track of so many different characters and have them all feel like they're real people. In an hour and a half, no less. Right, yeah. So I know I give this movie credit for a lot of things. It's certainly not a favorite of mine. It's not a movie that I... Uh, am eager to keep revisiting, even though I've seen it multiple times. But I, I, I don't hate it. I really don't. Let's talk about the soundtrack, which was all over the place in 99 and had so many songs that we all knew. But what's funny is like the songs that were in the movie that weren't on the soundtrack seem to be even bigger, I think. Yeah, well, maybe some songs that were already hits that they were using just for their recognition qualities and they didn't need to put out on a soundtrack. But yeah, this movie is wall to wall, like, you know, one hit wonder alt rock bands like Tonic and Goldfinger and stuff like that. You know, Harvey Danger, Flagpole, Sitta. Yeah. Which was more than a one hit wonder. But, you know, that was a big one. And that Bare Naked Ladies one week, which, uh, you know, could we have left that in the 90s? I'd say so. Yeah, but that was a massive hit. You know, not related to this film. It was a huge, huge hit and is still the most famous Bare Naked Ladies song. And I'm sure if you see them in concert 
today, they play that as their big finale and the audience goes crazy. I mean, if I had a million dollars, I might tell them to stop playing that song altogether. So They have a million dollars, at least. I like this old apartment. That's a great Bare Naked Lady song. Third Eye Blind, two songs in there. Of course, Blink. Uh, yeah, yeah, Blink 182, Blink. right? Yeah. So, Josh, I guess this is more of a legacy thing, but since we're talking about music, I always associate this movie with Laid by James, which, you know, you know that song? I know that song, yeah. but it's not in the movie, is it's it? It's not in the movie, but that just tells me what an amazing ad campaign it was, because it must have been oh. all over the ad campaign, you know, and it was. And like, that's the first song I think of when I think of this movie. So... Yeah, I mean, I know that song and it was a big song, but I didn't remember it being associated with this film. So um, hmm. I guess I didn't see those ads as much as you did. Dave? Yeah, I don't, I don't recall that, but uh, I bet it's a great song. God, I'm going to just do this podcast on my own if this is what I get out of you two <laughs> morons. So. Should we rate this movie, Jason? Sure, um, Josh, out of five jizz cups. I, that was exactly what I was going to say. So yes, let's do it. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I actually went to my letterbox. By the way, I'm on Letterboxd's Go for Jason. Josh, what are you? Uh, I'm at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And Dave? I am, uh, am I Piecing Pod or am I by David Rosen? I don't know. All right, let's just rate this thing. <laughs> I rated it and I was going to look and I think I was going to give it the same exact rating. Three and a half cups of jizz. All right. See, and I'm going to give it three, three cups of jizz. I'm not that far off from you. I was kind of on the fence, two and a half or three, but... It won me over again by the end, so it's fine. It's 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 fine. So, uh, Dave, how do you want to rate this? I am going to go for. It's just so much fun. This movie, you know, it, it's it's a mixed bag overall, but it's still just so much fun. All right, <laughs> that song, Dave. Yeah, I know. I get you know that song, Dave. I'm, I'm sure, sure I do. I'm going to listen to it after we finish recording. It's a good song. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, another one hit wonder kind of band sure. there. We'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of American Pie. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special bonus episode to cap off our special bonus season, we are talking about the audience choice pick, American Pie from 1999. And I mean, we've talked a lot about elements of the legacy of this film. I mean, it's hugely influential as a teen comedy. Uh, I guess it popularized the term MILF. I had that down as one of the main things that to the, of the legacy was inventing that term, but I guess not. Do you know where it came from a Usenet board, Jason? So it, was an, it was an internet thing that Adam Hertz must have heard about? That's what, uh, that's what I had, had read. But, you know, yeah. I, had, I had known the term before, but um, that's just because of all the street lingo I know, Josh. Sure. Street. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd heard it before. And certainly it, it made that a term in the lexicon where that's now just a word that people know and don't even necessarily realize where it came from. Um, of course, there were three direct sequels that we kind of briefly touched on. American Pie 2 in 2001, American Wedding in 2003, and then uh, American Reunion in 2012. Um, I haven't seen any of those since they first came out, but I, I did uh, write a fairly positive review of American Reunion and remember thinking yeah. that it was, you know, it, it it captured more of the sweetness than maybe the previous sequels had. I liked um, the Bandcamp one, the two, the American Pie two was good also. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how I would feel if I went back and watched those now. Uh, of course, Ad Adam Hertz, as we said, who's the screenwriter here, he wrote American Pie two 
as well as American Wedding, uh, and then was no longer the writer for uh, American Reunion, which was written and directed by what are their names? Your guys, the guys who, right? the yeah, yeah, who created the Harold and Kumar Schlo- series, Schlossberg, and you know, whoever. Hurwitz, I think maybe the Cobra Kai guys. The Cobra Kai guys, yes, they wrote and directed that. Hertz really hasn't done anything since. This. No, no, he's worked on American Pie, and he created. I was looking up; I had never heard of, but he was uh, in 2001 the creator of a sitcom that only lasted for five episodes called Go Fish, starring uh, Kieran Culkin. That, from the description on Wikipedia, basically just sounds like American Pie, the sitcom. It's like a high school thing, and for you know a bunch of friends and their you know efforts to have sex and you know talk to girls and all this stuff. And it it even features the actress who plays Jim's mom in American Pie, playing the mom of the main character. So really, he had you know sort of one successful thing that he kept trying to do over and over. Molly again. Cheeks. There you go, her. Yes, she is the the mom in that sitcom as well. Um, yeah, not not much of a career. Although I would imagine that royalties and residuals and whatnot from American Pie probably can sustain that guy for the rest of his life. And anytime they make one of these American Pie spinoffs, they have to credit him, and I think he's going to get paid for that. Yeah, he's just he's just owning all that. Uh, I think I had read that he does like a young writers program or something. Like he's the head of that. But yeah, he's just making that American Pie money. He had that one other movie he wrote. Uh, nope, he sure didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really it. He's got a couple producer credits, but the guy just American pied it for his Best entire Inten- career. A TV movie in 2019 called Best Intentions. Oh, okay. Maybe that was like a, a failed pilot or something like that. I'm sure he's still trying to get stuff going. And, you know, in Hollywood, you can you can be a working writer and make money and not have anything ever produced. So maybe he's doing that. But in terms of his actual credits, it's it's American Pie all the way, really. It says he has three things in development. We'll see if any of those come out. But Josh, tell us about, and I'm so excited that you did this. You covered all the sequels, and um, that's exciting. So tell us about all those direct-to-DVD sequels. Yeah, so the most recent one called uh, American Pie Presents Girls Rules came out in 2020. And so when that came out, I I wrote something on that film and all of the previous ones, there are uh, five total direct to DVD sequels, American Pie Presents, which started with American Pie Presents Bandcamp. And it started trying to have some continuity in that one. uh, Eugene Levy is in all of them, except the uh, the most recent one, except the girls rules. And in every one of them, he's Jim's dad, but he's got like a different job. He just somehow shows up wherever the characters are. And he's like, I'm a camp counselor now. <laughs> and there he is. Um, so yeah, but in the band camp one, in addition to him, it's got Sherman, the Shermanator, he's in it and somehow has now become the principal of the school, I believe. So, uh, and the main character is meant to be Stifler's younger brother who we see in this film is played by a different actor, but is this attempts to give it continuity. And then they kind of abandoned that after that first one. And there were a couple then that had, they all have a Stifler. Uh, It's like Stifler's brother, or then it's uh, Stifler's cousin. And the Stifler family just keeps expanding with new characters in every film. So uh, the Naked Mile and Beta House, those two were actually, there's like continuity between those two. And they have the same main character, 
who's, I forget what his name is, but he's a stifler and his whole deal is like, he's a nice guy and he doesn't get laid. So like the whole stifler family hates him because oh he's not like some sort of vulgar asshole. And I think Christopher McDonald plays his dad, who's like trying to uphold the stifler legacy. You know, when he was a college student, he was busy, you know, sexually molesting people or whatever. And he wants his son to do it. So yeah, those two. And then uh, the book of love, which I mentioned where they bring back the idea of that book that's been updated by all of the high school students and the characters in that one go on a quest for it or, or some nonsense. I don't know. Uh, and then girls rules, which flips the script and has the main characters be the teenage girls who are trying to get laid. And of course there is a stifler. And by that point, they don't even bother explaining how the stifler is related to the original stifler. They just slap the name on one of the characters like, oh, look, it's it's uh, it's Stephanie Stifler. Sure. Why not? And they're all bad. They're all bad. One of them I was mentioning to Jason when we were talking about this earlier this week features a character being anally raped by a moose. So you can kind of see. And as I said, I don't know if you can call it that because I don't know if the moose understands consent or not. Mm. Certainly not a pleasant experience for the character who is uh, subjected to that, who may be the, the stifler of that movie. I can't remember. But yeah, they're all they're all just horrendous. And again, if you think anything in the main American Pie movies is bad or is offensive or is just disgusting for the sake of being disgusting, the the direct to DVD movies are on another level, especially uh, the Naked Mile and Beta House are just some of the most horrifically misogynist films I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, it's it's awful. I haven't seen none of them, Josh. I've seen... And you shouldn't. No one should. The last one sounds kind of like blockers to me without the parental element or whatnot. Yeah, they, they tried. And that one is the least horrible of them. It's not very good, but it's more along the lines of what we were saying about like a modern Netflix teen comedy than in the tradition of the real awful vulgarity of the previous ones. But... None of them are worth seeing. Well, uh, they did say after reunion they were going to do an American Pie 5. It seems like it might be about time for that. Or maybe we just don't do any more of them. I'm fine either way with that, you know? So Yeah, they've been talking about it. And I feel like what happens is like the least famous members of the cast who really, really could use another American Pie on their resume <laughs> keep talking it up in, in interviews because they want it to yeah, happen. But, but I don't know that it will. Who are those? I feel like at this point, like Sean William Scott's kind of his own thing. And the rest of them are almost, they all work if they want to, you know? Natasha Leone's great. We mentioned Russian Doll before, so she's kind of doing her thing. And uh, But they're all working. They're all working if they want to be working, right? I mean, they're all working, but mostly in not very high profile capacities. I mean, I think that's one of the things is that this movie was positioned, especially because it was so successful as like the launching pad for all this, these future superstars. And that didn't happen with any of them. Really. I, don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, you know, um, I mean, they all had a few, uh, a lot of, they all had, had a, a couple years. little things and then fell right off. And if you look at the current you know, work of Mina Suvari or Chris Klein, even, or Thomas Ian Nicholas or Eddie K. Thomas or, or, or Tara Reid. I, I mean, it's a lot of these little B movies that you've never heard of, or if they're lucky, they've got supporting roles on TV series. Eddie K. Thomas in particular has done well with that. He's he done on multiple that. TV shows. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure they're fine, but would they love to be in a high profile movie for a franchise that's been beloved for 20 plus years? Of course they would. 
It's interesting to see like how many of them have all worked on other things together, like uh, Kevin Smith movies. You know, a lot of them are in the Jay and Silent Bob things. A lot of them are in music videos. Of course, Jason Biggs, star of the Weedest music video, Teenage Dirtbag. And he also played Benjamin Braddock in uh, Broadway, I think. So, you know, they're all still working. Him and Allison Hannigan have both hosted game shows. Um, Tara Reid. Eh, not so much, but um, I mean, she did all those stupid Sharknado movies, which were very popular. And I'm sure by the time they got to Sharknado five, all of those actors had bumps in pay. Wait a second, Dave, have you ever scored a movie with Tara Reid in it? I sure did. Bus party to hell. Yeah, that's right. Boom. And by by the way, she's big enough that they put her on the poster, even though she's in two minutes of the movie. But, you know, well, well, yeah, (laughs) she's got name value. She probably sells overseas Mm. and. Mina Savari, when we look at like and make fun of what Bruce Willis is doing, she's like the female Bruce Willis. She's in like six movies and this year and none of them sound <laughs> any good at all. <laughs> right. But I think the difference is that you look at Bruce Willis and and it's like he doesn't need to do that. But I think Mina Savari is taking any role that she can get because she needs to make a living, which is fair. And I wouldn't criticize her for it. But I think the idea that like they don't need a, another American pie, that's wrong. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was just going to say related to what Dave was saying, you know, Tara Reid is a regular in the films produced by uh, local Las Vegas B-movie producers, Michael and Sonny Mahal. Mm -hmm. She is one of their go-to people for that name recognition, and she'll show up in a couple of scenes in one of their films, and they can put her name on the poster and her her face there, you know, alongside people like Richard Grieco and Michael Madsen and Tom Sizemore. And... You know, those aren't the people that you want your career to be compared to. Nah, they're working actors. Josh, you did an article on Thomas Ian Nichols, didn't you? I, I interviewed him fairly recently when he was starring in a really, really bad B-movie that he, however, had also like produced and maybe co-written. And he does a lot of, he's a musician. Uh, he he lived here in Vegas for a while. He has a lot of family here and spent time here. He used to perform he, around He grew town. up here. Yeah, uh, partially, I think. And uh, he used to perform in local bars here and stuff like that. But he is one of those actors. When I talked to him uh, in that interview, he is one of the people who had played up the possibility of American Pie 5. And he was saying how he had misconstrued it. He had talked to those Cobra Kai guys and thought that they had a green light to make another movie when they really just said that they had like an idea for another movie and he fueled those rumors and he didn't say it was because he really wants it to happen because he needs the money. But I think, you know, if he thought, Oh, this is going to happen. It's certainly, he's something that can get him suppress. <sighs> Josh, he should probably just make rookie of the year too. I think uh, an adult Henry Rowan Gardner would go a long way, but so Let's, yeah, there, he's he's maybe one that you would have heard of before this if you saw Rookie of the Year, I right? Because he, he had been a child actor. There you go. And Josh, of course, the, the three most successful of the cast members right now, Eugene Levy is huge, Shit's Creek, but he was already just, just in a ton of stuff, right? But Shit's Creek really took it to another level for him. Right. Uh, I mean, he's a comedy legend, but he was kind of, you know, people remembered him more from the past and Schitt's Creek brought him to a whole new audience. Yeah, he's got a Grammy, Grammy and an Emmy, you know, um, Jennifer Coolidge this past year with the White Lotus blew up all over again. She's great. Um, and Josh, Sean William Scott has had a lot of uh, success. I mean, I love Goon. I really recommend that movie and, you know, uh, role models. And I think he's, his new show, Welcome to Flatch, is a remake of this British weird comedy called This Country that I enjoyed. 
kind of a, a look at like an office style comedy about a small town. Yeah, he's been one of the more successful ones. And I mean, weirdly, it's the people with the small John Cho. Roles. Yeah. John Cho is probably the biggest star of them all now who has two lines in this film. Right. And they're all are just saying milk. What about Alison Hannigan <laughs> being on uh, How I Met Your Mother? That's right, probably right. made her a lot yeah, of money, she, I'd imagine. Right. Yeah. She had a long career and she seems like Jason was saying she's host a lot of game shows and she seems she's like she's kind of deliberately moved away from acting roles where she probably could be working more than she wants to. But I'm sure that How I Met Your Mother money is sustaining her mm-hmm. very, very well. Casey Affleck has an Oscar. Yeah, Casey Affleck, who isn't even credited in this movie for some reason. It's so weird, right? Yeah, it's not like he was some like massive star at the time that uh, it was like a special cameo. So I don't really know why that is. Well, but well, let's talk about the Whites brothers because they've had like I feel like a lot of promise. I loved about a boy. You know, they had written ants. They had uh, they've each been like one was a playwright, the other's written a trilogy of YA novels. But like, what are they doing now? Yeah, they've had very weird careers where they've kind of jumped all sorts of different genres. I mean, it seemed like they wanted to be taken seriously. And uh, Chris White's especially tried to get into the whole blockbuster thing. He directed The Golden Compass and he directed one of the Twilight movies. But yeah, they've, they've just they've not had a very consistent artistic output. But they're both, I feel like, you know, still... Uh, on the list of someone that you would call as just kind of like a journeyman who can come in and get your movie done professionally, if not distinctively. Um, I will say Paul White's made a movie that was kind of a small film called Grandma with Lily Tomlin and Julia Garner, who uh, Julia Garner, of course, is now a huge star because of Ozark. And that's a really nice, sweet, small scale kind of dramedy about the bond between this young woman and her grandmother. And, you know, talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, it's all about her wanting to get an abortion or needing to get an abortion. And her her kind of hippie grandma is the one who helps her out, takes her under her wing. So that's a that's a kind of a nice little film. But yeah, otherwise, their careers have been very spotty. Hmm. Chris White's wrote a Star Wars movie. Was he a writer on one of the new Star Wars movies? The Rogue, Rogue One. Oh, okay, yeah. Allison Hannigan was in the stage version of When Harry Met Sally, so it's all coming back to these awesome movie or films, Josh, and let's move on with our life. Uh, I thought yeah. it was cool that Natasha Leone directed Sarah Cooper's um, stand-up comedy special. Like, you know, and we like Russian Doll, so that's it. Yeah, Russian Doll is great, and uh, I mean, Orange is the New Black, which also had Jason Biggs on it. Uh, Natasha Leone, of course, had like a lot of really severe personal problems for a long time to the point where I think a lot of people thought she was going to turn up dead from a drug overdose and has amazingly turned her life around personally as well as professionally and does a lot of great stuff right now. So uh, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. Good for everyone. So anything else on the legacy here, Jason? We've covered a lot. I think we did it, Josh. We 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 uh, we we did it so good. It felt like warm apple pie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's American Pie. And that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. If you found us on Patreon for this episode, you probably don't need to hear this. But check us out on social media. Jason Harris Comedy, Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Or Mix and Match. Those are on all of them. Uh, my website, goforjason.com. Got pie fucked a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, we're on awesome movie year, uh, com. awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome movie pod on Twitter. I am at Josh bell hates everything.com. Not the best, but at least there's no, uh, non-consensual live streams of naked women. 
Uh, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And of course, if you listen to this on Patreon, you already know, but if you're listening to this much later when we finally release it to the masses, check out our Patreon for more bonus episodes like this one. Yes, absolutely. Produced by David Rosen Patreon. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. It's just hanging on by a thread. Come on, guys. Help us out, please. (laughs) Tell a friend. So uh, if you're listening to this on the uh, first release, we are about to start our new season. So do you want to tell uh, tell listeners what's coming up in that season, Jason? Well, for the few of you who are listening to this on the Patreon, get ready on the main feed. We're going to be doing 1980, and we're starting with the box office runner-up because the champ was uh, Empire Strikes Back, which we'll get to. But we're going to talk about the runner-up 9 to 5. And if you're listening to this on the main feed, you already knew that. And who knows what's coming up if that's what you're listening to. So tune in for whatever happens to be next. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. In Germany, they might have wished that he was drinking other things in the cup. (laughs) I don't even know what that's a reference to, but I'm going to leave it alone. We'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on American Pie. What are, what are you trying to refer to there? Shiza videos, Josh. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, just leave that all out, please. Dave, that could be your close for this one. Yeah, possibly. We'll I wasn't going to mention it, but you, you, you asked. Well, I literally was like, I don't understand. What I thought you were going to some Nazi place, like it was going to be a beer full of poison or something, but. That's not my style, Josh. All right. Well, good. <clears throat> Welcome back. And now I almost think you have to put it in. No, just leave. So, so people don't think I'm making Nazi jokes.